Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word to us. We want to thank you for all the ways you are at work in our lives in this world. We thank you for the miraculous, for the ordinary. For those those joyful joys of unusual moments and for the pleasure of daily work. For sudden bursts of energy. And quite frankly, the ability to get on from day to day. For unexpected gifts of love and for the faithfulness of our ongoing relationships. For healings of mind and body that we cannot explain and the strength and energy that we often forget you have given to us. Father, make us sensitive to the workings of your world around us that we may see ourselves as the wonders that we are created by you and that we may see all people as your wonders created by you. Help us to know you're with us every moment. (coughs) Father, as we come today, we know that that we come and others connected to us who are struggling with life. We pray for your comfort over those who are grieving. We pray your healing over those who are in pain. We ask that you would give peace to all who are in distress, to those who are weary and burdened anxious and overwhelmed, facing the difficulties of living in this fallen world. Father, for these needs and others in our minds and hearts today, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we thank you for the privilege of ministering together and to each other. We thank you for the ministries and the work of churches around us and all over the world. Today, we pray for the Watermark Wesleyan Church in Hamburg, Pastor Ken Nash. May your abundant blessing be upon this church as they serve each other, as they serve you, as they worship you, as they influence their community and beyond. Pour out the abundance of your blessing upon them. And Father, we we think about your church around the world. We pray for uh, Chris and Corey Thede and the church in Haiti. And as there is renewed political and social unrest, we pray that your church will be a presence of hope and of life for so many people who live with such great need. Father, we think of your hand and ask for your grace to curb violence against your followers and against all suffering people. We pray that you'd give wisdom and courage to government authorities, transform the hearts of of conflicting family members and community leaders and opposition groups. Father, there are so many places of the world where uh, there are refugees looking for safety, there are Violence and war, everyday life, tragedies, disasters. Bring your spirit's presence and the presence of your people to bear that there would be hope and peace 
restoration. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you that you are always more ready to hear than we even are to pray. And that you are more ready to give even than we are to desire and certainly deserve. So pour out the abundance of your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace and strength upon us. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our coming King. Good morning, church. Um, I would like to introduce uh, two people that you have already seen up here uh, helping to lead worship. Um, This is Emily Allen and Abby Aguirre. They are two college students, um, and we just wanted to share a little bit with you all about some things that have been going on um, related to college ministries, um, and just to kind of invite you into what's been going on there. So I'm going to have them share a little bit um, first, and yeah, I hope you enjoy. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. My name is Abby Aguirre. I'm a Koinonia team leader this year, and I just want to thank you all for your support with that ministry. I've been so encouraged by my fellow leaders and all the people coming to Koin. They come with open hearts, ready to worship every single week without fail. And they remind me of God's great love through their life-giving words and actions. And Koinonia is every Sunday night at 7 in the Wesley Chapel, and everyone is invited to come and worship with us. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily, and I'm here on behalf of the College Ministries Committee um, here at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Our main mission is to connect all of us who are college students um, with the church family here in meaningful ways, and um, especially because we have awesome ministries going on on campus, but there's a unique and special blessing of being part of a multi-generational church family um, here at Houghton Wesleyan Church. And so um, one of the ways that we did that recently was through our progressive dinner last week. Um, We were able to have multiple groups of college students go and be hosted in homes of people like you in this church here um, for meals. And it was a big blessing for all of us. So thank you to everyone who was involved in that. Uh, But just in general, um, whether you're a college student here and you don't know anybody in this church, or whether you're a person who regularly attends Houghton Wesleyan and you see all these college students around but you don't know any of them personally, um, go up and introduce yourself to someone today because it's um, this family that we have here that becomes a home away from home for college students like me and so many of us who are here. And we would love to um, be more and more part of your family. So thank you for everything that you do. And um, thank you for including us up at Houghton College down here at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Yeah, and I just want to encourage um, all of you here in the church, if, uh, if you feel led to reach out in any way, um, so often I find that the, the most meaningful experiences, I know for me as a college student, with people that weren't college students, weren't from big programs, but from specific families that said, you, I want, God's put you on my heart. Um, Come into my home. This is a place to crash, to sleep on the couch and do absolutely nothing if that's all you can do right now. Um, but I just encourage you if you uh, to just reach out, to, to be bold about that. Or if you are feeling led to do anything um, a little bit larger scale, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm here to be a resource to you all. 
um, college students and community members. Um, you can email me. It's Austin with an E, A-U-S-T-E-N-K-E-W-I-N at hwchurch.org. Thanks. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 and verses 13 to 23. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. So it is uh, great to, to see all of you as we gather for worship today. Let me invite you to, as we continue in worship, to stand, take a moment, share a word of greeting and welcome with others here in worship today. Father, may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We all struggle with our view of God. It's a part of our sinful natures, it's a part of the, the corruption that's taken place and in the broken relationship with God. and we, start, we all struggle with that. And I think that by and large, you could, you could put our struggles into two categories with nuances. On the one hand, you have this struggle of 
thinking of God as, as the unpleasable taskmaster, as, the, as the, uh, the, the, the officer of the law who is continually looking to get us. It, God is always way, he gives us all these commands and he expects us to do them all perfectly. And he's just waiting for us to mess up and to yell, up, oh, there it is, got you. And we have this view of, of, our, of God and who he is as this commanding God who can never fully be satisfied. But on the other hand, there is an image of God in which he's very disconnected from humanity. God, either we say, God, we don't believe in God, or if we do believe in God, it is the kind of God who doesn't really care about human beings. He's completely disconnected from human beings, and he says to us, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. Just go have fun because I don't really care. And I suspect that in one way or another, again, with nuances of those, we struggle with one, maybe both, of those mindsets about who God is. And here's the thing, we're not alone in that. We didn't start wrestling with these false views of God. From the moment our first parents rejected God and rebelled against him, we have had this twisted, corrupted view of who God is. And it's falling into typically one of these two categories. And when you read the scriptures all the way through, you find the scriptures addressing these struggles, these addressing these views of God and trying to help us understand where our views have gone wrong and to correct them. And when you come to the New Testament, you see it even more clearly and particularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul, like what we read a few moments ago this morning. And there is, in this mindset, this tension between what do we do with the law, what do we do with the rules, the commands that God gives us, and what do we do with freedom that God, that Scripture seems to talk about an awful lot as well. We find ourselves stuck in this tension. I have a feeling we tend to gravitate to one extreme or the other. On the one hand, we, we have this sense of, I, I'm free, I don't need any of these rules. I, I don't want the rules, and that's really what Paul says to the Romans, and he says this to the Galatians over and over again. If you look at chapter Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the question came up because so-called believers there, false ones really, were secretly brought in and they sneaked in to spy on us. And they wanted to take away our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. And Paul is saying, look, there are always people who want to tell us it's about the rules. It's about the commands. It's about obedience. And Paul says, it's not. And when you read through Paul's writings, you get the feeling that Paul is saying, let's just get rid of all the rules. Now, you know, I grew up in, in the 60s and 70s, and one of the mantras of the 60s was, get rid of the rules. Let's get rid of the rules. And, you know, Paul's sort of the hero of that, right? 
Paul's the guy. Get rid of the rules. We don't need any rules. Let's let go of the rules. I remember the first time I seriously read the book of Galatians. I was in seminary. And I read through the book of Galatians and I'm thinking to myself, why has no one told me this before? How did I miss this all of my life? That we have freedom in Christ, not rules in Christ. Because I was stuck in this mindset of God being this unpleasing taskmaster. And so I'm like, hey, throwing off the rules. Do anything you want. I wanted to get out the next morning and storm the administration building on campus and say, no more rules, no more rules. And when you read Paul, you get the sense that Paul is saying it's about freedom and let's let go of these things. And then you come to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least command and teach others others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. What? Now Paul's telling us, you let go of the rules, the laws, and Jesus is saying, you hang on to them. And we scratch our heads and say, what's going on here? Now you see, you've got to remember that as the Israelites come out of Egypt, they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they have a bondage mentality. What they know about God... They have, they have heard for centuries past, but basically God has been silent to them. And they come out of Egypt and their view of, of worshiping a God probably looks an awful lot like the Egyptians' view of worshiping a God. And how to be the people of Yahweh, their thinking probably looks a lot like what it means to be the people of the Egyptian gods. And so they come out of Egypt and God says, now, let me help you understand what freedom means. And so God sets up this system of laws and commands for them because they have no clue what they're doing. They have no clue who God is. They have no clue what it means to follow God. And so he sets up these these laws because they are immature in their relationship with him. Jesus comes along and says, it's not as if those things weren't important. Those things are not are still true. I just want to show you where those things were headed all along. Because, see, the problem is the Jewish people had this mindset, and Paul is writing about this in, in his letters to the Romans and the Galatians and others, and their mindset was, it's all that matters is the law. If you do the law, you're good with God. I mean, it's what you see in the Pharisees that Jesus addresses. They obey all the laws, and yet Jesus says, you hypocrites. Why is that? They're doing exactly what God asked them to do. They're following the laws. How can they possibly be hypocrites? Because they're doing the laws, and it has absolutely no bearing on their lives. Now, 
They're more, they're more interested in the law than they are in God. And that's why they get angry at Jesus when he heals on the Sabbath. Because Jesus broke a law. And Jesus says, you've missed the whole point. We have a, a, a one-year-old grandson and a four-year-old granddaughter. And they have, you know, they have rules. They have things that they, they do and don't do. And, and you, have to, you have to understand at their ages, some things you have to do for them and other things you don't. And the one-year-old, it's different than the four-year-old's. The other day they were at the house, the one-year-old wanted some apple. And so he had to peel the apple and cut it up into small pieces because he can't eat the peeling and he can't eat real large pieces of apple. It would be dangerous for him. But the four-year-old says, I want an apple, and you cut up big chunks and hand it to her. Because that's what you can do when they're four as opposed to one. The little one likes to crawl up the steps in our, up to our second floor. And he's getting good at crawling up the steps. The problem is he likes to stand up about halfway through, not realizing that that's not a good idea when you don't have good balance. And so when he goes up the steps, we're following him behind, sort of like this, you know, because there's a good chance he's going to turn around, he's going to stand up, and he's going to tumble down the steps. And so we're protecting him. But when the four-year-old wants to go up the steps, we just say, fine, go up the steps. Wouldn't it be weird and a little bit eerie, if you if you had a there was a little child, maybe your child or a niece or nephew or something, and and they're walking up steps when they're one, and you follow them behind, and when they're four, you're still following them behind, and when they're fifteen, you're still following behind them on the steps, and they're twenty seven, and you're still following behind them on the steps. Would you think that was a little strange? Is it because you don't care now if they fall down the steps or not? No. The point is, they can handle it now. Because the point all along was not falling down the steps. And there's so many things that God says to the Israelites that are, that are confining and, and that are a little bit strict to begin with because they don't know anything. But as time goes along, those keep continue to get expanded. Not because the laws are wrong. They just have to see the purpose, the wider purpose of them. And Paul is saying the problem is you are worshiping the commands instead of worshiping God. And you know, we have a tendency to do that. How many times have you thought to yourself, I'm good with God because I read my Bible enough every day? I pray enough every day. I go to church every week. I'm in a small group. I go to chapel and don't do my and, and don't sit and do homework, but I really listen. How many times do we think to ourselves, what I'm doing makes me right with God? When in reality we've missed the point that these things we do are means of grace. It's not that doing, that reading scripture or praying or coming to worship or being in a group, that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, we ought to do that. It's good to do that. It's helpful to do that. But it doesn't make us right with God. It is a, they are means of grace to help us experience God. And we should be engaging these things because we want to experience more and more of God. But doing the things doesn't make us right with God. Because there are lots and lots of people 
who do all the right things and are not right with God because their hearts aren't in it. You read the scripture about loving your neighbor and you walk out and you swear at your neighbor for something they did. And you yell at them and you mistreat them. But you feel like you're good with God because I read my scripture today. The problem isn't the law. The problems are misunderstanding about it. The problem isn't the commands of God. It's our misunderstanding about it. And see, we tend to think the law is a prison. It confines us and we're always trying to get out of it. But really, it's more like guardrails. Because God's intent is for us to not end up down in the ravine. To keep us on the road. Because if we don't follow the guardrails, if we, if we don't have guardrails, every one of us is going to end up down in the ravine because that's human nature. None of us are perfect. We still need the commands of God to remind us, to keep us on the path, to keep us moving forward, to keep engaging in the means of grace because without those commands... We would all go our own way, do our own thing, and think, it doesn't matter how I live. And it does. Because you see, the heart of that is self-interest. The heart of that is saying, this is about me. I find my fulfillment in doing these things instead of in God. And that's the problem. But here's the deal. If, if we can be enslaved to commands and laws and things, we can also be enslaved to freedom. Because just as, just as the rules can become more of anything about us instead of about God and leading us to God, so can freedom. We think freedom is, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm free. And we say that and we sing that and we read that. We're free. We can do anything we want. But Paul writes to the church in Corinthians. And he says, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial you. You see, the point of biblical freedom is not, I'm free to do whatever I want, live my life however I want, and no one's going to tell me anything. The point of biblical freedom is we use our freedom for good. We use our freedom to, to engage with God, and we practice the spiritual disciplines and the means of grace, not because we have to, but because we want to. We use our freedom to engage with God more and more and more. And here's the thing about freedom. Jesus says, after he talks about how he hasn't come to abolish the law or to get rid of the law, Jesus then says in verse 20 of Matthew 5, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That your righteousness is better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's probably 
things Jesus is talking about, but one of the things Jesus is certainly saying is, how do you use your freedom? Do you use your freedom for good or do you use your freedom for selfishness? And Paul says that if you think you can use your freedom to sin, you're wrong. God didn't set us free to sin. God set us free to be the people he created us to be. And that's why when you get to the, on in this passage in Galatians, not only does he talk about where self-centeredness is going to lead us into all of this, this behavior that's so destructive to our lives and our relationships, but he says, if you will use your freedom for the Spirit, it's going to lead you to fulfill that great commandment of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And instead of freedom to sin, we use our freedom to sacrifice and to give up, give ourselves away to love. It's that kind of spirit-led freedom that gets us to what he writes about in verses 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in us, the freedom of the Spirit moving in us and living in us leads to love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all things that enhance our relationships. These are things that make relationships what we dream for them to be. That's what we use our freedom for. And I suspect that there is this tendency in us, in all of us, to say, but that's a sacrifice. It doesn't feel like freedom if I have to live like that. But what we have to understand is that the freedom of God comes only as we surrender ourselves to him who makes us free. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That freedom is not abolishing the commands of God. It's just embracing them in a new way, as they were always intended to be. We've been talking about the loom here as as an image of these tensions each week. And, and you take a look at the loom, and, and there, are, there are not a ton of moving parts, but there are moving parts to it. And, and if, you, if you look at the, at the side of it, you can see some of those parts in the picture. There aren't a lot of rules about a loom, at least not this kind of a loom. But there are a few. You have to thread through the heddles here, these metal pieces, if you want to make things come out the way you want them to. And then you have to wrap things around just right. And you have to, and as you continue to move the shuttle through the, the weft, you have to move pedals so that the strings, the threads, end up going in the right places and end up doing the right things. Now, you could look at a loom like this and say, you know what, I don't want to follow those rules. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do it however I want to do it. No one's going to tell me how to use this loom. I'll just do it the way I want to. And you can do that. But all you're going to end up with is a pile of string. 
if you want something beautiful or useful to come out of this, you have to follow the rules. But here's the great thing. When you follow the rules, then it opens up virtually unlimited creativity for what you want to make. Now, I used to think that weaving was just about making rugs. I was very ignorant about weaving. And then someone gave me a book that showed, that has all kinds of stuff in it that you can make. And I just copied, took pictures of a few examples. You got a wall hanging with all these intricate animals on, owls on it. And you, there are, there are, there's like a, a pot. I don't even know how you make that kind of thing. But you, you have unlimited creativity. But you have to follow the rules. And it's not the rules. We, should, we don't look at the rules as confining. We look at the rules that enable us, enable us to have freedom. Pastor Paul was telling me that he remembered a book back in the 70s that InterVarsity Press put out about the Ten Commandments. And instead of the title being a study of the Ten Commandments, the title of the book was The Ten Great Freedoms. And I find that intriguing. Because I think that's exactly how God intended them to be. And to say to his people, if you follow these ten commandments, it won't be confining to you. It'll set you free. It'll set you free to live life in joy and peace. It'll enhance your relationships with each other. It will enhance your relationships with your neighbor. It will enhance everything about your lives if you're willing to follow these commands. Not because you worship the commands, but because the commands reflect the nature of who God is. And put us in a place where we can experience the fullness of God in our lives, surrendering ourselves to Him. You see, our problem is we have a tendency in our, in our skewed views of God, in our skewed views of ourselves, we have a tendency to think that the answer to life is in a rule or in freedom. But the gospel keeps telling us over and over again that the answer to life is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. And if we will surrender ourselves to the commands of Jesus and surrender our freedom to the life with, to life with Jesus and focus ourselves on him and pledge our allegiance to him and trust him and, and put our faith in him and attach ourselves to him wholeheartedly, we will find that the commands of God become joy and the freedom of God becomes joy. Because our focus, our lives, are in Him. And we can do that and we can trust Him because nobody gave up freedom like Jesus did. Nobody has freedom like Jesus does. Son of God. He can literally do anything He wants to do. And He sacrifices His freedom for our good and for the good of the world. We all have a skewed view of God. 
And often it's about God being this taskmaster or God being completely disconnected from us. And Jesus comes to show us that both images are wrong. God loves us. And he's for us. And we can trust him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is who he says he is enough that we would actually put our lives in his hands? Not just once or twice or ever so often, but every moment. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your commands that that are guardrails for us and protect us. And thank you for the gift of freedom that enables us to give ourselves away in love. Give us grace to trust you and to find our lives fulfilled in you. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.